in God's heart. You know, the Scripture tells us that we're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, the verse says, says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. Now, what works is he talking about? He's talking about me being fearfully and wonderfully made is what he's talking about. He says, marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. The word fearfully means awesomely. Did you know you're awesome? I mean, some people think have a hard time saying, well, I'm awesome. Well, God said you were awesome. So if you say you're awesome, would that be wrong? No. No, as long as you're not narcissistic about it. You're just, you know, it's just, I'm just, it's just a fact, ma'am, just a fact. God said you're awesome. God said I'm awesome. We can look at each other and say, I'm awesome. Not bragging on us, but bragging on God. It says we're wonderfully made. The word wonderfully means unique. Do you realize that you are absolutely unique? No one has your fingerprint. And if you have a sibling, theirs are similar to yours, but they're not exactly the same. No one has the same pattern in their iris that you have. Can you imagine that? I mean, right now there are close to 8 billion people on the planet. Nobody has your iris print. Nobody. No one ever created in this world has your iris print. God has got to be very creative to do that. Do you know that nobody thinks exactly the thoughts you think? They're absolutely unique to you. Nobody does that. You are fearfully, wonderfully, marvelous. The word marvelous means extraordinary. So when you think about yourself, if you think you're just a dumb nobody, you're wrong. The scripture says that you are awesome, unique, and extraordinary. That's who you are. If the devil, if the devil or anybody else tells you something different, it's a lie. The Bible says, let God be true. And every man a liar. If you disagree with God, you're wrong. You see, too many believers don't know who they are. We think People tell me all the time that God somehow made a mistake when he made me. Or I've, heard, I've heard people say, well, you know, I was just a mistake. My parents didn't mean to have me. I was a mistake. Can I tell you something? Humans, two humans, can come together and produce a physical being. Only God can create a spirit. And he never does it by accident. So every spirit being, which is what you and I are, is unique to God and loved by God. Ooh, man. Sometimes when you start to age a little bit, we get this idea, the devil comes and says, well, you know, it's too late for you. I mean, you've wasted too much time. You're too old. You know, you can't, you can't do that. Well, here's what I know the Bible says. It says, for the gifts... For God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. They never go out of style. He never withdraws them once they're given. He does not change His mind about those to whom He gives His grace or to whom He sends His call. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too dumb. See, the the world will tell us things. The world will make us think we're too old. We're too young. We're too bald. We're too fat. We're too skinny. We're too this or too that. I mean, the world tells us all kinds of things, but God says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, I read the thing the other day, you know, you, you know, you, you know you're getting old when. You know, and 
I glanced at it and it said, you find yourself standing next to your car with your keys in your hand, but you can't remember whether you're getting ready to go somewhere or you just got back. <laughs> or, you know, everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work anymore. Or you reach down to pull up your wrinkled socks and realize you didn't have any socks on. <laughs> you bend over to tie your shoes and you ask yourself, I wonder if there's anything else I need to do while I'm down here. I heard somebody say, inside of every old person is a young one wondering, what went wrong? <laughs> my granddaughter was sitting in my lap one day, and, and she, 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 you know, she rubbed my face. You know, my, my grandchildren called me Paul. And she said, Paul, did God make you? And I said, well, of course, honey. God made me. God made me. She took her hand, and she began to rub her cheek. And she said, did, did God make me? And I said, well, of course, honey, God made you. God made me. He made all of us. And she said, she said, well, rubbing her cheek, rubbing mine, rubbing hers. Don't you think he's doing a better job now? <laughs> Listen, we may be getting old and the world may have all these things that tell us what's going wrong. But let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 5, this is a benefit, says, Talking about the Lord who satisfies your mouth with your necessity and desire at your personal age and situation with good so that your youth renewed is like the eagles, strong, overcoming, and soaring. Mm. When the world says you're getting too old to do anything, you just understand something. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. You're strong, overcoming, and soaring. Like Caleb when he was... Almost, he was 85 years old, and he went to Joshua and he said, "I want, I want the land that God promised me, and I'm as strong today as I was 40 years ago when God promised it to me." He never gave up because he got older. The Bible says in Psalm 92, "The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree; he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon." Those that be planted in the house of the Lord—that's us. That's every one of us in this room shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. The world can tell us that we're not worth anything when we get old. They're wrong. And we will prove them wrong by the grace of our God. We will do what we're supposed to do. Listen, we've got to be aware that the grace of God is still available to us right now. No matter how old we get, as long as we're on this world, the grace of God is available for us to accomplish the plan of God that's still in effect while we're here. As long as we're here, there's a plan. I used to, I used to always say it this way, still do, I guess. As long as you can breathe and fog up a mirror, you got stuff to do. <laughs> and the grace of God is still there. We're not finished until the day He receives us into glory. And then we still got stuff to do. The scripture says for eternity he'll be revealing more and more of his grace to us. Ooh, that's exciting to me. Well, that gives me to my scripture. John chapter 1 verse 16 from the Amplified Bible says this, For out of his fullness, abundance, we have all received and all had a share and were all supplied with one grace after another. And spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing. And even favor upon favor. And gift heaped upon gift. 
I love that verse of Scripture. It's talking about layers of grace, and we've been talking about receiving more grace for several weeks now. The Bible talks about more grace than just getting born again. The Bible talks about more grace than, 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 than just the first time we encounter God. It's a continual growth, encountering more and more grace. The new birth is the entry level for grace. There's more and more of it. The Scripture says we're to grow in grace. The Scripture says that He gives more grace. The Scripture says great grace was upon them all. There are just different levels of grace. We've been talking about getting more grace. We found out the word grace is the word charis, which means favor. We, we, we said it's the, it's the unmerited favor of God. Grace is that unearned goodness of God that empowers us to achieve whatever He's called us to in His Word and by His Spirit. It takes His grace to get there. Just because you've been called, I'll tell you, you've got to make sure that you get the grace. You believe for the grace. We found out that grace comes by faith. And so we've we got to get hold of God's grace. We get His Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We get hold of the Word. Faith comes. And then we begin to... The channel for His favor is our faith as we believe Him to walk in the assignment He has for us. So we, go, we walk with God by faith. So tonight we're going to talk about, about continuing to get more grace. I mean, any more. I know I do. More grace. More grace. Okay, so if you had a Bible or a device... We're going to look at Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. We looked at Esther the last time, and I told you the whole book of Esther is about grace and how that last time she didn't make any demands and she got grace. I mean, she just had God's grace. She had the grace of the king. She had all kinds of grace. Esther chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 10, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 5, verse 4. So it's a long passage, but I want us to get all of it. Esther 4, verse 10. It says, again, Esther spake unto Hatach and gave him, com- gave him commandment to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's province, provinces do know that whatsoever, whether a man or woman, shall come into the king into the inner court who is not called. There is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come before the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded and answer, to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape, escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then, there shall, then, the, then, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade him to return to Mordecai and answer, Go and gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan. And fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also, my maidens, will likewise fast, and so will I go to the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. The next chapter, verse 1, says, Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel. She stood in the inner court of the king's house, over against the king's house. And the king sat upon the royal throne in the royal house, over against the gate of his house. And it was so that when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. And then the king said unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? What is thy request? And it shall be given thee to half of the kingdom. And Esther answered, 
If it seem good unto thee, king, let the king and Haman come this day unto a banquet that I prepared for him. Now, pretty much everybody's read the whole story of Esther. Is that right? You all know what's happened here. Uh, evil Haman has hatched a plot to kill all the Jews. And he wants to kill them all. And the, the, he wants them eliminated from the Persian nation. I mean, there's been a demonic spirit since the Jews were came into being to get rid of the Jews because the devil knows if he can get nations to mistreat the Jewish people, then he can negate the blessing of the Lord on that nation. He's been doing it for, for, for centuries. I mean, the desire is to eliminate the Jews so that blessings will not be, so that nations will not be blessed. Individuals will not be blessed. So, Esther's relative, Mordecai, sent her word about Haman's plot, and he tells her that she's got to approach the king on behalf of the Jews. The problem is here is they've got what I call the drop by and die law. That is, if you come in there, and he's sitting on the throne, and you come in, and if he doesn't hold out the scepter, you die. And it's a chance you take. Either if he invites you, that's good, but if you come uninvited, and he doesn't hold out the scepter, you die. So Esther, so Esther hasn't been invited to come in a month. All right. So the queen couldn't even come to the king without an invitation. That was must have been rugged to be a queen in those days. And if he decided not to have you killed, he'd hold out the scepter and you come and give your request. So Esther has to make a decision. She had to decide that she would either live for herself or give herself to the plan of God. Haman's figured it out. Esther finds out what to do. Her, her relative Mordecai, he's actually her cousin, he tells her, he acted as her father, but he tells her that I, what I need you to do is I need you to go to the king on behalf of all the Jews. I need you to plead for our lives to him. And Esther says, well, I can't because if I do and he doesn't let me, I'll die. And he says, listen to me, Esther. If you don't go, if you decide not to go, you're going to die anyway. He prophesies to her and says, if you don't do it, you and your household, you will all die. But God will raise up a deliverer from the Jews some other way. So that, that's what he told her to do. So she decides to give herself up for the plan of God. I like what it says in verse four, 14 of chapter 4. He says, Mordecai says, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall enlargement and deliverance arise the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this? Mordecai knows that God is bigger. And he says, God's bigger than you. He's bigger than me. If you don't do it, he'll find somebody else. And then he points out the reason to Esther why God's grace has been upon her. Remember, she gave herself to the king before. She did not demand anything. We found out that because of her humility, that grace was bestowed upon her. We talked about that last time. When she refused to be, when she refused to be treated the way that others had demanded to be treated, she received favor. So he points out to her that the very reason for her grace, the reason for her humility, is that grace might come upon her. We've got to understand something. There's a purpose for the grace that's on our lives. God wants us to live in humility. He wants us to receive his grace for his purpose. This is what I know about grace, and I can see it from this chapter. God's grace will take me from nowhere to somewhere supernaturally. God's grace will take me from a place 
that I seem to be invisible to the place of his choosing supernaturally. Whatever he's called me to will take his grace to get there. God's grace will open doors that no man can shut. God's grace will provide a way that no one can stand against. All right. So God has a purpose for grace in our lives. Oftentimes we won't know immediately the why of the grace. We may have to find out at a later time. I believe it's time for the church to stand in grace. All right, for we, for, for, because I believe that now, when we look at our world, we see what's going on around us. I believe now is our such a time as this. I believe if the church doesn't surrender itself to God and allow the Lord's grace to fall on us, we'll never understand our purpose. We've got to have his grace to do that. So Esther has to decide whether or not to enter the king's presence and risk death or not. She has to decide that. She asked him to pray and fast. They fast and pray for her. She makes a decision to lay her life down for the purpose of God. When she makes that, makes that decision, she says, if I perish, I perish. Can I tell you something? The goal of our lives is to please God. The goal of our lives isn't necessarily to survive. Do I need to say that again? Yeah. Our goal is to please God. Whatever God says, the goal isn't to survive. If God calls us to do something, He empowers us with His grace to accomplish His purpose. If we perish... We perish as long as his purpose is accomplished. I'm going to tell you right now, there is not a lot of threat from the devil that says, I'm going to kill you if you've already died to you. If I live to him, he can threaten all he wants to because humility brings God's grace. I mean, that, that wasn't a part of what I was going to say, but that was good, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to survive. I simply have to trust God. That's my job. I don't have to get my way. I simply have to do what he said and trust him for what he said. I've got to have the courage in my day to make the same choice Esther made, and that is to do whatever God said. We've got to stand for God. And if we perish, we perish. It's going to get more fun before I get through, just so you know. We read the story. Esther comes in the presence of the king. She just apparently she just stands at the door. And she apparently is some gorgeous lady. And he holds out the scepter. And the Bible says she found favor. He had it in his hand. He held it out. The scripture says she obtained favor in his sight. Literally, it says she lifted graciousness in his eyes. She stands there. He sees her. And he said, honey. And he held out the scepter. The supernatural favor that resulted from her decision was that the king. This is an amazing story to me. He was willing to give her half of the kingdom. I want you just to think about it for a moment. One minute, 
She said, if I perish, I perish. But I surrender to God. I surrender to his purpose. The next minute, the king says, you can have half the kingdom. That's favor. That is grace. That's what grace does. Let me just throw this out to you. When we give our lives to the golden scepter of God's grace, he will freely give us the kingdom. The scripture says, Luke, Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's just waiting for us to come in humbly before him. And he's ready to hold out the scepter and give us the kingdom. He'll deliver it into your hand. I mean, all the benefits. He'll bring it all right into your life. Now, let's think about something for a minute. What time is it here? Oh, man, okay. Let's think about this. The king is holding the scepter. Where's the scepter? It's in his hand. The king's scepter is in his hand. Esther literally placed her life into the hand of the king. The scepter's in his hand. The, the, the scepter has to be held out by the hand. She places her life in the hand of the king. I mean, she put herself, really, into the hand of the Lord. Because that scepter had to be released. Now think about this verse. We've read it before already. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-7. through seven. It says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, where? Under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. When we place ourselves humbly in the hand of the Lord, he's able to exalt us in due time. He holds out the scepter. When we humble ourselves, He freely gives grace to anyone who will humble themselves. Remember we talked about humility a couple of times ago? And humility is simply agreeing with whatever God says. Pride is disagreeing with Him. Pride is saying, I'm not awesome when God said you are awesome. Humility is agreeing with God. If God says go... It's not my job to say, God, I can't go. Listen, if God says go, it's not my job to say, I don't have the money. If God says go, it's not my job to say, God, I'm too tired. If I humble myself under his hand, grace comes to me. I mean, he gives grace to the humble, placing oneself in the hand of the Lord without regard to, end, to the outcome is the ultimate expression of trust in God. Man, that's where, that's where the grace comes from. The scripture says, blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord. Blessed as we trust him, as we put ourselves under his hand. That's grace. That's receiving more grace. I mean, that, that's, that's the greatest grace you can get is when you humble yourself under God's hand and he says whatever he says to you and you humbly agree and do whatever he says. Grace comes. The kingdom comes. Isn't that what we pray every day? Your kingdom comes. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
The way that's going to come is when I humble myself and I say, God, whatever you say is what I do. Whatever you say is what I'm going to say. The hand of the Lord is released in our behalf. The hand of grace that helps us in the time of need. But we've got to trust Him and place ourselves in His hand. Trust Him. And if I perish, I perish. Listen, it's better, it's better to perish in peace and happiness in the hand of God than to be miserable. By the way, I believe He protects you when you get in His hand anyway. And he guides you and he takes you where you're supposed to be. Ooh, man, we need to learn how to humble ourselves. I want you to think about this. It's hardest to humble yourselves under the hand of God when it doesn't look like it's going to work. I mean, Esther, stand there. It lo- she hadn't been called in in a month. And she says, he says, Mordecai says, you got to go. And she's like, it doesn't look very good for me to do that. But he says, well, you got to go anyway. And she says, if I perish, I perish. It didn't look very good. But grace was extended. Think about this verse. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. Now think about this. The word commend is to place, to deposit, to present, or to entrust. Jesus placed his spirit into the hands of the Father. He entrusted himself to the Father. Now this is after he knew that the Father had forsaken him. He's on the cross. He said, why? Have you forsaken me? And then sometime later he said, Into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus had become sin. He never sinned, but all the sin of mankind was placed upon him. And he's hanging on the cross. He is sin. The Father could no longer look at him He had to turn away from him. It seemed like all was lost. Jesus needed more help here. He's on the cross. Though it was worse than he expected, he knew that he knew there was more grace from the Father if he could just get in his hand. Think about this verse. Let this mind be in you. This is Philippians chapter 2. Which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself on the cross. And put himself in the Father's hand. The Bible says we're to have that kind of mind. That The word mind means to exercise the mind. To entertain or have sentiment or opinion. To be disposed. We're to have the same opinion that Jesus had. And that is that whatever God says, that's what we do. And when it looks the worst, that's when we give ourselves away to him. That's when we yield the most to him. Jesus humbled himself. I mean, listen... 
He's hanging on a cross. He humbled himself and more grace came to him. In his humility, Jesus totally entrusted himself to the Father into his hands. Now let me read the next verse from that. It says, therefore, I'm sorry. And next verse says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him. Why? Because he humbled himself. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. There's the golden scepter. Jesus humbled himself. He said, Into your hand I commend my spirit. He gave himself away. I mean... Do you understand, it took great faith for Jesus to die. He never sinned. It took faith for him to close his eyes and die. Because he, he, he had never sinned, not one time. But God exalted him and gave him grace and raised him from the dead. God stretched out his hand and gave great grace to Jesus and exalted him. Acts 13 verse 33 says this, it's talking about the children of the fathers of faith. It says, God hath fulfilled the same to us, their children, the, the fathers of faith, in that he raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Now, I just want you to think about this. Jesus gave himself to the Father on the cross. He said, I commend myself to your spirit. He died physically. He died. The devil thought he had won. Jesus went to hell. There he is. And then all of a sudden, because Jesus humbled himself under the hand of God, the Father says, Thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. Can you imagine what happened in hell when all of a sudden they hear the sound of the Father speaking and he says, Thou art my son. This day. I have begotten thee. That meant right now he's coming out of there. And everything changed in a moment because Jesus humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. He had to trust the Father. He had to commend himself into, the, into his hands. There was no evidence of grace. None. Jesus was beaten. He was crucified. He died on that cross, but Jesus entrusted himself to the Father in the midst of all of that. That grace came to Jesus through the channel of faith. He believed that God would do what he said. The man who never sinned became sin, and now he entrusted God with, with, with everything. And grace, if grace didn't come, Jesus would spend eternity in hell, and you and I would be without a Savior. All right, that's more grace. Okay, let me read. Let me read on here. Just read a couple more things, and it would be done for tonight. Second Corinthians chapter one verse eight. The Bible says this. The Apostle Paul he says, "We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead." Once again, here this guy's talking. It's hard to threaten somebody with death when you believe that God raises the dead. 
Right? So Paul says, he says, you know, we, we, we believe that God raised the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, and that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in the answer of the prayers of many. The devil was threatening, him with, threatening Paul with death over and over. We understand that Paul was stoned to death one time. The devil was threatening him, and Paul's like, well, I've already died, so it doesn't matter. And I, besides that, I believe that God will raise me from the dead. You can kill me, but God is going to raise me from the dead. Do you understand that even if, even if we do die, God's still going to raise us up? For the believer, I mean, the physical body, when it dies, we get to go be with him. And that's even better than this. I mean, there was favor on his life, on Paul's life, because he trusted in God. When we place our lives in the hands of God, there's nothing to fear. There's no reason to quit. We humble ourselves under his hand. Grace comes to us, and there's more grace. Even when things aren't working the way we want them to work, it doesn't deter us because we're in his hands. The problem we have a lot of times is it doesn't seem like it's working or God's word tells us to do something we don't want to do and we don't get under his hand. If we'll just get under his hand, grace is released. More grace and more grace. The apostle said, By the grace of God I am what what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Paul understood it was the grace that that, that was sent in response to his laying his life down that caused him to be able to do everything God called him to do. He understood. He understood that when grace came, because he submitted to God, that it would, it would enable him to do everything that God said, even when times got tough. You see, that's the thing about grace. If I can just humble myself and commit myself to the thing of God, I can walk into the most difficult circumstance, the thing that looks most impossible, the thing that seems like I can never get out of it, but if I can just get in God's hand, he holds out the scepter and grace is bestowed. That's what faith is about. Faith is about obeying God even when I don't understand it. Do you understand? Do you realize tonight you don't have to understand to obey? We all had kids. And I I believe all of us probably said this. Why, Mommy? Because I said so. Why, Daddy? Because I said so. Sometimes we do it because God says so, whether we understand it or not. Faith isn't based on my understanding. Faith is based on what did God say. And when he says it, I do it, grace comes. Even if I don't want to do it. Even if it doesn't look like there is any way it could ever work out for me. You know, like telling the truth. You know, like, like, like having the integrity we're supposed to have. Like going where he tells us to go and saying what he tells us to say. We do that. And grace comes, grace comes, grace comes. The Apostle Paul said, he said, the Lord, he said, and the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities in reproaches in necessities in persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Here's what he's saying. I give it all to him. Because he has to do it. He said, he, he said, 
the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. The word sufficient literally means a barrier. My grace is a barrier for you. Paul said, Paul said there was an entity of Satan that was buffeting him. That's what this verse, these verses are about. He said there was a spirit that was buffeting him. Wherever Paul went, two things happened. There was revival and there was a riot. I mean, they loved him or they hated him and there was no in-between when Paul went someplace. He went in there and they hated him. And he said, every place I go, this demon spirit is released against me. It's a thorn in my flesh. And God said, my grace, because you have submitted yourself and committed yourself to me, my grace is a barrier for you. It's the barrier for you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. When you are unable, my supernatural power is released into your life because grace comes as we humble ourselves in His hand. I mean, I think this is a powerful truth for us to know. Our job is not to try to tell God what to do. Our job is to just get in His hands. Allow Him to hold out the golden scepter to us. Allow Him to say, you can have the kingdom. I'm going to give you the kingdom. God's desire is that we have his kingdom. I love what Paul said in, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12. He said, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. We've got to be so confident in God. He is able. His grace is for us. I mean, Jesus received grace, and that grace enabled him to do everything that God told him to do, including being raised from the dead. You and I, as we submit ourselves to God, God holds out the scepter and we have grace. We have his favor and he gives us the kingdom. We need more grace like that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Father, that we have the opportunity to lay our lives down before you and your grace comes to our lives. We understand that what the devil means for harm and evil, you will use for good. And as we submit to you, grace comes and we receive it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.